I don't know whether you've ever felt um, alone uh, or insignificant uh, in a big crowd of people. I don't know if you've ever been in a big city. Um, I love big cities. I'm not really a country boy. I love big cities, I have to be honest. And um, a couple of years ago, I was on sabbatical. So I had a six-week period away from the church. And as part of that, I went to the States for a couple of weeks with some friends, some other Christian leaders. We went to some conferences. And then they wanted to go to a church outside of Chicago, which I didn't really want to go to. So I said, I'll go downtown Chicago in the city because I love that city. And I'll spend three days on my own, which I know sounds sad, but actually I really enjoyed it. And um, uh, as part of that, it's a massive city, and I happen to be there on St. Patrick's Day, on the Saturday, which in America is bigger than it is in Ireland, all right? St. Patrick, they go bonkers over there for St. Patrick's Day. And so they turn the river green, which... Of course they do, of course you do. And uh, there was all kinds of crazy stuff going on. And hundreds and hundreds and thousands of people headed into the city for that weekend. And I was staying in a hotel right by the river. So often I would walk around, especially on that Saturday, St. Patrick's Day. And I just felt, I mean, I loved it, but you just felt really insignificant because you were one person amongst thousands of others. Anyone ever felt like that? Maybe even at work, you feel insignificant. Maybe you feel like you're one person. Maybe at school or college or uni. Maybe even in church, you know, you, there are a load of people around you and you know, you think, well, yeah, they all seem to have it all together. But actually you feel unnoticed, insignificant and small. And I think if we're really honest with ourselves, which most of us, a lot of us aren't, it kind of triggers a question that I think deep down everyone's asking or everyone has asked. Or if they haven't asked, they will ask it. And it's this question, does God really know me? Does God really know me? There are over 6 billion people on the planet. Could God really know me? And if you break it down a little bit, maybe some of us are asking this, is there even a God? So like, if God, does God exist? That's the question you're asking. But then maybe you say, well, okay, if God does exist, does he actually know me? And then maybe you take it further on. If God does exist and he does actually know me, does he want to know me? Like, is he interested in my life, in the details of my life? I mean, there are six billion people plus on the planet, lots of big deals going on across the world. Surely, if there was a God, he wouldn't be interested in what's happening in my life, would he? Well, actually, he would, and he is. And I want to open this question up for us this morning, because I think this is a really, really important question. There was a philosopher and theologian called R.C. Sproul, who was asked this question, what's the greatest need in the world today? And he replied, quick as a flash, this, the greatest need in people's lives today is to discover the true identity of God. In other words, when you discover the true identity of who God is, that is the greatest need in people's lives. And you know, here's my thought. I think that many people, especially in our country, a Christian country in terms of our historical heritage, but not in terms of our actual practice now, I think many people in this country reject God, but they reject the notion of a God that actually isn't God at all. I think they they reject their perception of who God is rather than the true identity of God himself. And you see, we have this perception of God, and I think it comes from four main areas. Number one, it comes from the media. It comes from the media. I love films. You know I love films. I talk about it a lot. I love movies. I really experience God uh, at the movies. Honestly, I, I see the stories of, of God and, of his, you know, and how he deals with the world through so many movies. And occasionally, Hollywood gets in a little bit of a groove where, where they say, okay, now we're going to make some biblical films. Anyone seen Noah? 
Exodus, okay? And, and this is going to be a little bit of a rant this morning, okay? But I'll get it off my chest. It's therapeutic and cathartic for me. But what I wonder about is why when Hollywood comes to look at the Bible, does it, does it apply completely different standards than any other source book where it takes its material from? So when we do Lord of the Rings, when Hollywood does Lord of the Rings, they stick intrinsically to like Tolkien's books and to this and to that. And we've got to get the Hobbit's feet the right dimension, make sure there's hair on the Hobbit's toes because that's what... Tolkien says and they do it right to the nth degree when they do Batman it's exactly as the source material is when they do Star Trek heaven forbid we get some of the timeline in Star Trek wrong because we'll offend some Trekkies and we wouldn't want to do that would we but when it comes to the Bible Hollywood throws out the source material and does whatever it likes And so you get this whole scenario where in Noah, you've got these rock gods that throw stones on the ground. And in Exodus, God is portrayed as a 12-year-old, slightly spooky, scary boy. And I think, why do you do that? And then Hollywood says things like, well, we don't believe in the supernatural bit of God. And I want to say, but you don't believe in hobbits neither. And you don't believe in Vulcans and Klingons and Batman and Robin. But you stick right to it. Why don't you apply the same standard to the Bible that you apply to all that? And there's my rant over, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) (laughs) But I think... But that's all right. See, when I go and watch a film like that, I, I think, well, okay, I understand what they're doing there. Yeah, that's so bonkers. And so you see, and I can do that, and you can do that, but people who aren't Christians, who don't have a relationship with God, they go and see that, and they think that's what God's like. So they come out of Exodus, and they think, okay, so God, to get the attention of Moses, knocked Moses on the head with a rock, and then appeared as a 12-year-old, slightly spooky boy. And then he sent Moses back to Egypt, not as a deliverer and as a redeemer, but as a terrorist. And instead of a staff in his hand, he had a sword. And when God came through him to do the, the plagues and all that, instead of giving Pharaoh and the Egyptians time to repent and time to turn from their wicked ways, which is what God did, he just sent a whole load of plagues and there was no option. That's not what the Bible says. And you and I can discern that. But when people go and watch that, they walk away and they have a notion of God and they reject that notion. But they're not rejecting God, they're rejecting a false notion of who God is. You see, I also think that we, we have problems because of our, maybe our background and our upbringing. Maybe you were brought up and you went to church as, as, as a kid or you've been to church services and, and, and you just don't identify with, with a loving, caring personal God because of what you experienced one of my favorite stories of this is a of a kid who sat in church and it's a, it's an old church and he's bored in church and, and he's looking around the, the outside of the walls and there's all names of people with dates when they died and he says to his mom who, who are all those people there and she says they're people who've all died in the services <laughs> to which he replies was it the morning or the evening service that killed them And that experience of church gives you a notion of who God is and you reject it. Maybe our own personal experiences, family, our experience of a father. Maybe that's meant that we've rejected the notion of God as a father because of our own experience. Or maybe because it's what we see in the world. And we switch on our TV sets and we see what's happened in Paris and what's happening in Nigeria and what's still happening in Syria and Iraq. And we say, God, if you're a God of love, how could you let that happen? I understand all of that. But these are some of the reasons why we, we get a notion about God and we reject the notion of God. But our greatest need in the world is to discover the true identity of God. And you know, that guy, R.C. Sproul, was then asked a follow-up question. So that's the greatest need in the world. What's the greatest need for believers, for Christians? Quick as a flash, he said, to discover the true identity of God. It's the same answer. 
And I want to suggest that there are some of us here today at the start of 2015, and you're here this morning, by the way, because God wanted you to be here, okay? You might not believe that, but I believe that. And as you enter into a new year, what you need to discover, what I need to discover, whether you say you're a Christian or not, is the true identity of God. And God is a God who really does know you. You know, the psalmist David wrote this amazing psalm called Psalm 139. And in that psalm, he asks all these questions and he says, God, you've searched me and you know me. He says, you know, you know when, I, when, when I step out and when I come back. You know every idea, you know every thought. You know every time I trip up. You know when I go out, when I come in. You know my fears, you know my hopes, you know my dreams. You know me intimately. And yet I think many of us as Christians, even as Christians, we, we come to a point in our life where we think, do you know what, I'm not sure that God does know me right now. I'm not sure that God's that bothered. In fact, some verses in Isaiah 40, it says this, Why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord? My cause is disregarded by my God. They're people who are believing people. They believe in God and yet they come to a moment in their life where they say, God, do you know me now? Like, do you know what's going on? Like, do you know what's happening in my work? Do you know what's happening in my job? Do you know what's happening in my health and my family and my kids? Do you, do you know that? And do you care? And are you bothered? And I want to suggest to you this morning that most of us come to some points in our life where we ask that question. Does God really know me? And I want to encourage you this morning, ask it. Ask it. Because when you ask it, he'll answer it. He really will. So let's open it up a little bit. If that's true, how does God know us? Number one, God knows your secrets. That sounds a little scary and intimidating, but hold with me. You know, uh, the, the guy David that wrote Psalm 139, he also came to a moment in his life where he did something really bad. And he carried it for a secret, as a secret, for two years. And then the prophet of God showed up and God shone a light into this and exposed this area of his life and exposed this secret. And it was painful for him, incredibly horrible consequences. But as a result of God shining his light, David came into forgiveness and freedom. You see, God knows all the secrets about us and he loves us still. And when he shines his light, it's not to expose things so we feel bad, it's to expose things so we enter into life as it's really meant to be. And so many of us as Christians, we carry around secrets and we carry around things in our life because we're frightened of what God might do and what others might say. And here's the thing, God knows anyway. And the only one it's hurting is you and maybe some other people. But when we allow God to shine his light, he knows us and he knows our secrets and he brings us into that place of freedom and liberty if we'll only let him. Last week we looked at that question, what's the wise thing to do? And in my, the life group that I'm a part of, um, we were talking about wisdom and foolishness on Tuesday night. And I tried to define it this way, someone who's wise, wisdom and foolishness in the Bible is all about how you respond to light. So if you're wise, when light shines, you will adjust your reality to match the light. But if you're foolish, you'll try to adjust the light to match your reality. That's what happens all the time. Light shines and light brings truth and where the truth is, there's freedom. But what we do is rather than adjust ourselves to the light, we try to adjust the light to match our reality. The Bible calls that foolishness. He knows your secrets. So if you ever say, does God know me? Ask it. He knows your secrets. Don't hide. Let the light change you. Don't try and change it. Let it change you. Secondly, he also, he knows your struggles. 
You know, in the Bible, in, um, Jesus talks in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. It says, he talks about the practical things of our life. You know, many people come to church think, oh, you're, oh, you're just going to talk about heaven and hell and prayer and worship and angels and fluffiness and all this. And all that's important, not maybe the fluffiness, okay? But actually, the Bible is incredibly practical. Incredibly practical. And Jesus says in Matthew 6, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink, or about your body, what you'll wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Then in Matthew 10 it says, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than sparrows. And these images that are so rich in the Bible and vivid are all about how much God knows your struggles. He knows what you're going through. So he knows about your financial issues. He knows about your anxieties with everything that's practical. He knows all about that. And there's some really powerful images here. You know, the rabbis in Jesus' day were fascinated by how birds seem to live stress-free lives and they couldn't. And then Jesus talks about two sparrows that are sold for a penny. And um, in the book of Luke, it says five sparrows for two pennies. Now, if you do the maths on that, if, one, if two sparrows are sold for one penny and you get five sparrows, you're getting a freebie, aren't you? This is important because what God is saying, what Jesus is saying is this. Even, you see, what happened was that two sparrows were sold for a penny in the temple sacrificial system. They, they bought sparrows and they sacrificed them as part of the sacrificial system. Okay, Ignore that. That's not the point. The point is this, that if two were sold for a penny and you had five, that means one is thrown in for free. Even the one that's thrown in, thrown in as, far, as part of a freebie is known to God. And when the Bible says, when a sparrow falls, it doesn't mean die, it means land on the ground. Even when a sparrow, even the freebie, that's part of the deal, when it lands on the ground, God knows about it. So if God knows about that free sparrow landing on the ground, he'll know about your life too. He knows about your struggles. And I want you to know today, folks, that whatever struggles you're going through, God knows it. Whether you know God or not, whether you believe in God or not, God knows your struggles. The Bible says even the hairs on our head are numbered. That's more relevant to some of us than the others. But what he's basically saying is that he knows every single thing about your life. That is amazing. You know, one of my favorite Psalms is Psalm 23, very well known. And it talks, there's a line in that Psalm where it says, You anoint my head with oil. And several years ago, I did a whole study for about seven weeks in the church on this Psalm. It was incredibly rich to me personally to do that and to discover that that shepherds in the Middle East in the days of Jesus would have had a flask of oil in their belt and they would anoint the head of the sheep for lots of reasons. One of them was to stop them butting their heads when they fell out with each other so that the oil would make their heads to slip off so they wouldn't do damage. But the other reason that the shepherd anointed the head of the sheep was this, that in the heat of the desert, as they were walking around, little irritating flies would gnaw away at the face of the sheep. And the shepherd's care was such that he didn't want that to happen. So he anointed their head with oil. And I thought, wow, isn't that amazing? Even the little irritants that annoy us, that get in our face, are known to God and he cares about them. I think that's amazing, don't you? The God who, who is, you know, the God of the universe and the God of six billion people on the planet cares about the little irritants that get in your face and in my face. And you ever ask that question, does God really know me? Ask it. He knows your struggles. Thirdly, he knows your scars. You know, to be human is to be wounded. We all have scars. We all have wounds and some of us are just better at covering them up than others. Some of us, they're out there, you know, everyone knows that. But for a lot of us, most of us, nobody knows our real scars and our wounds because we're pretty good at covering them up. 
But he does. He does. He knows your scars. He knows your wounds. He knows what's happened to you. He knows what's happened around you. He knows the wounds in your life and in my life. And how he relates to them is absolutely amazing. And the God that we see Hollywood portray in films like Noah and Exodus bears no relation to the God that I've come to know and love. None at all. And when I, when I look at who God is and I look at the compassion and the love of Jesus to people who were so wounded and so scarred, so they dragged the woman out who was caught in the act of adultery. I mean, how graphic is that? So you understand what's happening, don't you? She's caught in the act of adultery. They drag her out and they're going to stone her. And Jesus doesn't treat her like that at all. Jesus treats her with compassion and care and tenderness. He knows her scars. He knows why she's acting like she's acting. He knows the backstory. He knows that and he just loves her. Now he tells her not to do that anymore, okay? Because he, he loves us as we are, but he doesn't want us to stay as we are. But he treats her with grace and love and compassion. And I don't know what scars you've got in your life, but I want you to know God knows them. And there's a little verse tucked away in a psalm, in Psalm 56 verse 8. And it's not translated this way in every translation. But it says in the NLT translation, you keep track of all my sorrows. Wow. You have collected all my tears in your bottle. You've recorded each one in your book. You've kept all my tears in your bottle. That's amazing. What on earth does that mean? In, in biblical times, if a, a man went off to war as a warrior, as a soldier, he would give a glass vial or a bottle to the most important woman in his life. Now, if you're married, gentlemen, it's your wife. Okay, let me just clear that up for you. in case. But if you weren't, it may be your mother. All right, let me just clear that up in case you're a little bit unsure as to which one it is. So he would give the bottle to either his wife or his mother. While he's off fighting, and what they would do is that when they got sad and they were missing the guy, you know, the husband or the son, they, they might cry and put the tears in the bottle. And when the, the son or the husband came back, they would give them the bottle and say, this is how much you mean to me. Here are the tears that I cried for you while you were gone. Beautiful, isn't it? What an act of love and devotion. Whereas now we prove our love and devotion by who will put the bins out. So it's a whole different deal, isn't it? But basically, this image is in the Bible because this is a description of how God is with your tears and mine. He keeps each one of them in a bottle. Isn't that beautiful? Now, for some of you, okay, you think, oh, so girly that is. I'm a bloke and we don't cry. And some of you are saying, oh, and I'm a leader and I don't cry. And I'm a bloke, Christian leader, and I don't have any wounds and scars. I think you do. But you've just learned to hide it and cover it better than everybody else. Because to be human is to be wounded. And when we've got scars and wounds, we need to know that there is a God who knows our scars and he wants to do something about it. And what will he do? Well, the Bible says of Jesus in Matthew 12, 20, he will not crush the weakest reed or put out a flickering candle. He'll treat us with gentleness. And one of the stories I love that Jesus tells is the story of a man on his way to, from Jerusalem to Jericho who gets set upon by robbers and he's left for dead. And religious people come and they walk past him. But a Samaritan who is an enemy of this man, because he's a Jew and this is a Samaritan, he stops and the Bible says he bandages him applying oil and wine. And oil and wine in the Bible are a picture of the Holy Spirit. And it's like that's a picture of not only how we are to be to other people, but it's also a picture of how God is to us. You and I get beaten up in life, don't we? Don't we? 
not maybe not physically, but we certainly get beaten up at work. We get beaten up through circumstances and situations, marriage breakups, family difficulties, all this stuff. We get beaten up. God knows your scars. He keeps your tears in a bottle. And if you'll let him, he'll apply oil and wine and bring healing if you'll let him. So when you want to ask that question, does God really know me? Ask it. He knows your scars. Finally, he knows your service. You know, to serve God, to use the gifts that we've got is an amazing privilege. We believe in this church that every single person is gifted to serve. We believe that they're uniquely created by God with passions, with experiences, with, with gifts. Um, and we encourage you to find out what they are and to serve in the life of the church and out there in the community. In fact, we want to help you with that. So we run a course called Gifted to Serve. Our next one is on the 4th and the 11th of February, just two Wednesday nights. You can sign up at the back if you're interested in that. And we will explore over those two nights with you how God has made you to be. And that privilege of serving, it's amazing. But you know, here's the thing with serving. Nobody minds serving until they get treated like a servant. Because that's the problem. And so I wonder how many of us in this room have ever said, you know what, nobody saw what I did. Nobody acknowledged it. Nobody appreciated it. Nobody thanked. Nobody applauded. Nobody valued. Nobody credited. I want to say to you, if you've ever said that, you're wrong. You may be right in that everybody in your office was in that category. Maybe even everybody in the church. Maybe nobody in the church or nobody in the office acknowledged what you did. But you're not wrong. But you're wrong when you say nobody noticed because God did. Because the Bible says in, in uh, Matthew 6 verse 4, Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. When he sees what is done in secret, when he sees that act of service, he not only sees it and knows it, but he rewards it. It matters. It counts to God. In the last book of the Bible, which is called Revelation, there's, there's a bit where, where Jesus, it talks about Jesus walking around the seven churches that were in Asia Minor. And he, there's a phrase that comes back time and time again, and it says this, I know. It says, I know your good deeds. I know your acts of service. I know your generosity. I know your faithfulness. I know your perseverance. I know your struggles. I know your temptation. I know and I see and it counts. And I want you to know, folks, this morning, that whether it's in the life of the church, or whether it's at the workplace, or whether it's in your family, or whether it's in the community, God knows your service. Nobody else may see it. Nobody else may thank you for it. And by the way, it's really good to notice other people's service. It's really good to thank people and appreciate them. So we should do that. But when that never happens, God sees it and he knows it. And you might think, oh yeah, but I want somebody else to see it. Do you know what I mean? Like I want it to be on church news. I want it to be all, you know, I want it to be in the Express and Star. And that may happen for some of us, but it may never happen in our life, but God sees it. So every act of character, God sees it. Every act of service, every kindness you give, every time you stepped aside for someone else, every time you put a relationship above the issue, God sees it. Every time you, you let someone else take credit at work, even though the credit should have come to you, God sees that. Every time you stop and help someone cross a road, I stopped, and this is not to big me up, but I stopped. There was a lady just walking up from Wilkinson's just over Christmas period. I, I was in a rush. I was heading towards it. She walked past me. She had two bags like that, and she was, her fingers were all really gnarled. And she, walked, she was struggling up the, up, up the street, and I walked straight past. And then I stopped, and I saw her, and I turned back, and I said, how far are you going? And she says, I'm going way up there. And I says, oh, no, I can't be bothered. No, I didn't. No, I didn't. I'm joking. I didn't. I didn't. 
but I got your attention then. I said, let me carry your bags. You know, and it was fine. I was chatting. Just, and you know what she said to me? You're my guardian angel. <laughs> I'm really not that, darling. I'm really not that. But just a little act of service. Now, everyone's seen it because I've told you about it now. But even when, you ha- even when you do something like that, that you may never s- God sees that. God sees every kindness. God sees every word of encouragement you gave. God sees every time you said to someone else, do you know what? When you did that, that was brilliant. You know, I try and make a habit of saying that if I'm in restaurants or, or, or you know, and people are cleaning the loos in public places, just to thank them for what they're doing. You know, we, Alison and I were away uh, last year and we were in this restaurant in this, oh my God, we're in this restaurant in this hotel and there was a woman in there, I'm sure she's got a backstory and God loves her, I know that. But she absolutely blasted the staff. It was horrible the way she spoke to them. She was basically trying to get a free meal, which she got. Literally reduced the staff to tears. I couldn't contain myself any longer. And I went up to them both. And I went to the manager and the staff. And I said, can I just tell you, the service you've given us tonight has been absolutely fantastic. You've done an amazing job. There was tears in their eyes because of how badly they were treated. And I don't say that to big myself up. I say that to say, whenever we serve, God sees that. God sees that. And God rewards that. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 6, You know, God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you've shown him as you've helped his people and continue to help them. So does God really know me? Ask it. Ask it. Because God does. He knows your service. And maybe right now this morning, you at the start of the year are feeling a bit discouraged. And and you're serving. Maybe at church. Maybe in your work. Maybe in the community. You're serving and you're a little bit discouraged. Because you don't think that anyone knows. But I want you to know God sees it and he knows it. And he'll reward you. He'll reward you. So, as we finish this morning, the question we began with, does God really know me? What we've said is he does. He knows your service. He knows your secrets and your struggles and your scars. The question I want to end with is this, so what? So what? If God does exist and he does know all this stuff about us, so what? Well, if he knows our secrets, let's stop hiding. Let's stop hiding. Let's bring them out into the light, into the open with God. And let's experience the freedom that God is going to offer us. If he knows your struggles, my challenge to you is stop struggling on your own. Stop struggling on your own. You know, I know this is a, maybe a male thing, maybe a leader thing, maybe a Christian thing. But, but often people get themselves in all kinds of situations where they just don't want to admit that they can't do it on their own. And they think that somehow that's strength. Whereas actually it's weakness. They think it's wisdom when the Bible would call it foolishness. So stop struggling on your own. Let God in. Maybe let others in to that. If he knows your scars, so what? Well, stop covering them up. Open up to the oil and the wine that Jesus offers. And if he knows your service, I just say this. Keep on going. Keep on going. Why don't we pray? Ask the band to come back. Just as we're going to pray, I want to, in a moment, we're going to sing just one other song. I'm going to give you an opportunity maybe this morning if any of you need to respond. So we're going to pray. And if you can start to play, please. And Just right where we are, all our eyes are closed. In a moment, I'm, we're going to sing. And I'm going to give you an opportunity in a moment if you want someone to pray for you. But maybe some of us this morning, that would be a big step. Maybe that's too far a step. And right now, what you want to do is you want to respond to God right where you sit. So I want to pray for you. And if this morning you know that this has hit you, This has spoken into your life. You felt that God doesn't really know you. 
you felt like lost in a crowd and somehow one of these areas that I've spoken on has really hit you and you, all you need to know this morning is that God hasn't abandoned you. You just want God to come close and to know that God, not only in your head, but in your heart and in your experience, just slip your hand up and I want to pray for you. So if that's you this morning, I want you just to put your hand up right where you are. Thanks. Thanks. Father, I want to pray for these folks right now, Lord Jesus. God, would you just come close as we really say, Holy Spirit, would you come? Bring oil and wine where there are scars. Bring that sense of just your presence. God, where we've been struggling on our own, God, I pray that you'd come and that we know that we're not on our own. Where we've been serving faithfully but getting no recognition, God, I just pray that we just know that you've seen it and it counts. And so God, help us to keep going, I pray. Holy Spirit, would you come by your presence and just let us know that we are not on our own because the God of the universe is with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't we stand together? And as we sing this final song, you know, if this morning you need prayer, you know, people responded at the first service. If you'd like someone just to pray for you, then we would love to do that, okay? There's some space here. Just come and stand. We'll just come. We won't ask you a lot about it. We'll just really pray that you'll be aware of God's presence. So why don't we stand? And this is a beautiful song that just says, found in your hands, found in your hands, fullness of joy. You know, in the presence of God, when we know that we're in God's hand, that's where we really know that God doesn't know us. He knows our secrets and our struggles and our scars and our service. And He loves us. He loves us. And there's nothing we can do that will cause Him to love us any less. So if you would value prayer this morning, I want to encourage you, whether you're a Christian, whether you're not, we'd love just to pray for you. It's not weird or spooky. We just want to pray that God, the God who knows you, will come really close to you this morning.